0: Hello and welcome to Foundation Stones from Refuge City Church. Having a solid foundation for our walk with Jesus Christ is vital for every Christian, especially in the times we live in. Through God's Word, candid conversations, and everyday application, the aim is to help you build your foundation so you can stand strong for God every day. Buckle in and prepare your heart. Pray this, God, ready my heart for your truth that I might be more like you. We hope today's episode empowers you to grow in your walk with Jesus. Let's dive in. Hey all this is Jim Weaver. I am the host of Foundation Stones, the worship and the administrative pastor at Refuge City Church. I'm excited to be back with you for a very special edition of Foundation Stones. We're gonna interrupt our series on Just Like Jesus to go into a service that I recently had the privilege to be able to share the word of God in. I'm gonna to talk to you today out of the book of James, chapter five, on the topic of being all wound up. And the principles that the apostle James gives us We're staying in a place where our mind and our heart and then our life is free from the clutter, the debris, the knots that we find ourselves in all the time, because truly there is a harvest coming, but we've got to be in a healthy place in order to be able to walk into that harvest. So get your Bibles out, open up to James chapter 5, let's get ready for the Word of God. Here it comes. I'd love for you, if you would, to turn with me to James chapter 5. We're going to look at a portion of scripture that I believe is really going to be transformative. I think that it's really going to speak to even what has already been proclaimed today as Pastor Mark gave a word and the picture that I got of those buckles being undone and that surrender and that life being given over. How many of you know we're living in some wild times and it causes the church to go, what's up? What is going on? What's happening all around? Let me read the scripture for you. James chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 7. I'm going to read several verses. Read with me if you would. It says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned... Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no No, lest you fall into judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Father, I pray today as we explore this portion of scripture that you would enlighten it to our heart, ignite it inside of us. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself through the words that I share today. Anything that's from you that's good is from you. Anything that's not is from me. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just silence my own flesh and that you would release your truth through your spirit, that we would have ears to hear what the spirit would say to the church today. And everyone said together, amen. Amen. So I love the outdoors. I loved the outdoors as a kid. But I had some struggles with one particular activity. If you are my family, you know what this activity was. It was fishing. And fishing, I was terrible at fishing. It was bad news. First, I spent a lot of time when I was out in the woods looking up at the sky. And if you know me very well, you know why. Because I love airplanes. And so there's no way to catch a fish when you're looking at the sky. But the other reason why I had a really hard time fishing was because my line was tangled up all the time it didn't matter what I did it didn't matter what kind of a reel I used. my dad one time even got me one of those reels that says on the package that what is it tangle free or something like that it's designed just for kids it wasn't 10 minutes in I had it all tangled up and one time I even got my line tangled up because I was looking at airplanes I was out in the forest with my family and one of those jets flew over and I'm holding the fishing pole and the jet flies over and I go, and so now my lure is stuck in a pine tree above my head. My dad's way down the river and I'm like, oh no, how am I going to get my lure out of this tree? And the first thing I thought was I'm going to be in serious trouble because my dad is fishing and he is not going to want to stop his fishing to come and tangle, untangle my lure from 10 feet up in a tree. Anybody with me? Are there anybody, any people out here today that have struggled with getting your line tangled up all the time? Now, maybe we should have a fly fishing course or a fishing course or something. You can teach all of us blokes how we can keep our lines untangled. If you're really good at it, I need your help. But needless to say, this is the reason why I still, to this day, don't do a lot of fishing. You know the best kind of fishing? I've gone on to the deep sea fishing with Dave sometimes. And you know what's great? When my line gets hooked up, I call to the guide and I say, my line's hooked up. And I hand the pole over and he comes over and he gets it done. I have my snack and he untangles my line and then I get to catch the fish. That's the way to fish. Amen? That's the way to go fishing. You know, it's frustrating when you get all tangled up. It's frustrating when you get all bound up when you're fishing or when you're doing anything else. Anybody ever struggle with your shoelaces? As a little kid, my goodness. You, you know, because the thing is, little kids have one of two problems. Either their shoes always come undone, or they never come undone because they put so many knots in them to keep them from going undone that now they're so tight you can't undo your shoelace. I remember doing my shoelaces so tight and I'd have to get a fork out to get the little fork in between so that I could undo the knot. Anybody been there before? It's frustrating. But when I was a fisherman getting my line tangled up and everything, you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to hide because I didn't want anybody to know that I wasn't very good at this whole fishing thing. And I didn't want anybody to have to stop what they were doing in order to come help me because I didn't want to get in trouble or I didn't want to get ridiculed or I didn't want to have to admit that I just wasn't very good at something. You know, sometimes the only way that you can get your fishing line untangled is to yell, dad, my line's tangled up again. I'm all wound up. And then we got to hang our head in shame while we interrupt someone else's fishing rhythm and success, and so that's where I try to fix it myself. Anybody ever tried to fix the tangles all by yourself? And You didn't get very far. I hated asking dad for help, but I also knew if I didn't ask for some help, I was never going to catch a fish spend all day tangled up in a tree or with my lure stuck in the river on a limb somewhere. And so then, if I didn't call for him, he'd start to notice that I was not catching up with him. And he'd come back, and I'd be all messed up. And he'd go, why didn't you ask for my help? Well, I didn't want to stop you, and I didn't want to get in trouble, and all of that kind of stuff. And you know what? As I was thinking about James chapter 5 started to realize that we're facing some things maybe in our personal life and no doubt in the world that are truly rats' nests of turmoil, despair, and uncertainty and darkness. And it's like the fishing line has spooled into a big knot and we don't know how to undo the knot. We sit in the throes of despair with a mess on our hands, in our minds, in our hearts, in our families, and in day-to-day life, and many of us try to unravel it ourselves, and that's where addictions come in, and that's where divisions with people come in, and that's where we're dealing with all of this kind of stuff because we're trying to unravel it all by ourselves, But we don't get very far, and so then it spills over into our heart, and then it happens to overfill, overfill into our relationships, and then it spills over into our hope and our vision and our future. Because we get into despair. We can truly be all wound up. Anybody admit, I've been all wound up before. I'm not talking about fishing line, I'm talking about in here. I'm talking about in our mind and in our spirit, we get all wound up. It's like that fishing line that gets tied up in a big knot and we don't know what to do with it. And the harder we pull and the more we try, the worse it gets. We get all wound up just like that fishing line. In the same way, we have an epidemic of hopelessness that is entering our world right now. Cynicism and despair have set in deep, even in the church, and our minds and our hearts are out of control and out of sorts. I came across a couple of pretty staggering statistics that I wanted to share with you, and this may hit kind of close to home for some of you. We are dealing with an epidemic of mental health issues in our culture right now that is beyond anything that we've ever seen. This came from the Mental Health Awareness National website, and these are statistics from just this year. 21% 21% of American adults are experiencing a mental illness of some kind. 50 million adults in the United States are dealing with some, some diagnosis or some possible diagnosis of a mental illness. 15% of adults had a substance use disorder in the past year. 15%. 4.8% of adults have reported serious thoughts of suicide. That's 12.1 million people in our culture. of youth reported suffering from at least one major depressive episode in the past year. 16%. That's almost two out of every ten youth that you see. That's sobering. Because there's a, a rat's nest of despair that's hitting our mind and our heart. And in this study, I found this really Interesting because of where we live. In this study, I read, Oregon ranked 49th out of 50 states for the prevalence of mental illness and the lack of access for help. 49th out of 50 where we're living. That's staggering. This is something that's happening in this room, it's something that's happening to our next door neighbor, to our coworker, to our family. And I'm not bringing this to us so that we can despair, but what I want to let you know is that this is a spiritual battle. This is something that is happening in order to steal the hope of our redemption from a people that are called according to his purpose to be a peculiar nation, a royal priesthood, a holy people set apart for God's purposes, and yet we're all wound up, right? pretty powerful to think about that. So what are the things that root in our minds as mental knots, kind of like that fishing reel that are occupying most minds? I just wrote down a few. These are things that, that I've encountered even just on a daily basis with people coming in and out of the office and with conversations that I have. Let me just list a few of them. Fear, hopelessness, discouragement, family turmoil, political turmoil for sure, financial turmoil, health turmoil, relationship turmoil, anxiety, sleeplessness, and restlessness, addictions. And then, of course, this is all rooted in the state of our culture, which is a godless culture and a faithless culture. We're all wound up. We're seeing it all around, church, aren't we? And in the mind, many are all wound up, and where the mind goes, the heart will soon follow. How do we live in unbound freedom, spiritually, mentally, and physically healthy lives as followers of Jesus? That's what today is all about today. How do we have clarity of thinking and solidity of heart as we live in this world? There has to be an answer. There has to be a way to untangle the mess in our minds and the mess in our hearts so that daily we can live as sons and daughters of God, clean and pure and hopeful and advancing God's great commission. Amen? Amen. We're on a mission. We've got something we've been called upon God to do. And we've got all these stumbling blocks and these things that inhibit that. What if instead of sitting in despair and wasting our days trying to pick at our mess like I did on the bank of the river there with my my reel, we had some way of getting the line untangled? What if we stopped worrying about whether we were pestering our heavenly father and just called on him, started living his way, and got back to fishing for men? What if we started to rely on one another instead of trying to be an island of feigned strength that's really not that strong after all? When Pastor Mark came up a few minutes ago and he made the declaration that he made, you would be amazed to watch what happened in this room from the vantage point that I had. There was all of a sudden this acknowledgement that in order to be in God, I have to surrender myself. And what happened as people came to the altar, what happened? People gathered around them and started to pray and started to bring ministry and started to bring the comfort of the Holy Spirit into their life. But it came because of surrender. It came because of vulnerability. It came because of humility. It came because at some point, and many of you today have experienced this, you decided in your heart, I don't care what people think. I don't care what I have to tell them. I don't care how big this rat's nest is. Dad, I need help. I'm all wound up. I'm all wound up. I believe that God's word gives us some very powerful direction on how to stay untangled from the disparity that we're seeing in the world. And the apostle James, who most scholars agree was the brother of Jesus, so we just read the brother of Jesus' words. He was, the, he was the main apostle in Jerusalem. So this is pretty profound to me. This is a side note, but just to give you context for the way that this scripture carries is that scholars believe that James, who wrote this, chat, or this, this book of the Bible, was the blood brother of Jesus. He was the half-brother of Jesus. I don't know about you, but when Jesus was getting all the accolade for being perfect and all, it might have been James going, why is he getting all the attention? But when he got filled with the Spirit, when he got empowered by the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, all of a sudden God used the brother of the Savior to pastor the first church in Jerusalem. I think he has a thing or two to say about living in the victory of Christ. Because of anybody that's going to have to take a step of faith to believe in the Messiah, it was going to be the one who's related to him by blood. Interesting thought, isn't it? Imagine if, and and of course, this is not ever going to happen, but just imagine real quick, your brother winds up being the Messiah. Do you believe in him? And yet, because of the faith that welled in him, because of the Holy Spirit, God uses James to bring us some truths this morning that's going to help to set many of us free. I want to look at three things that I saw in the scripture that we just read, things that we can do every day in order to keep our hearts untangled from the world. One of the things that I love about James is that he's really real with us. You know one of the things about James? He doesn't tell you that everything is going to be perfect. He doesn't get up in front of you in this epistle and say, you're about ready to eat cupcakes for the rest of your life. Get ready. You're getting ready to go on a vacation to Cabo San Lucas six times a year. Get ready. Jesus is good. He actually says something a little bit different. He said, you're going to have some trials, and you're going to have some tribulations. And if anybody knew that, it was going to be the blood relative of the Messiah. He, in fact, gives us very clear instructions on how to press through the difficulties, not that we won't have them at all. And he uses a few examples. Let me just pull up a few of these out. You probably saw these, but let me just pull a few of them out. The first one is, is, he told us that we had to be patient. Everyone say patient. Now that is a bad word in America. We don't like patience because patience means we are not getting it right now. And we're not very good at waiting. And patience, waiting for the Lord to return. He says the day of the Lord is coming. But you've got to stay focused on what you're here accomplish, So patience, waiting for the Lord's return, just like the farmer waits for the harvest to grow. And he says it this way. He says, establish your hearts. When you hear an instruction like that in a scripture, this is really important because to establish your heart is something that you've got to focus on doing. You've got to decide, this is where my heart will be planted. Because there may be a drought or there may be a monsoon and these roots can't let this harvest go. Right? He says, establish your hearts. Make sure you're strengthening your heart all the time so it can persevere through the difficult times. The next thing he talks about is unity. Everyone say unity? unity. Not grumbling against each other because the judge is at the door. Have you, did you ever get into an argument with your sibling in your bedroom and you thought that by keeping the door closed that your parents didn't know you were arguing? Kids, Josh, actually they don't argue too much at my house but here's the thing your heavenly father knows when you're having grumpiness with each other because the bible just told us in james he's standing at the door listening to you when you're not getting along with each other because of pride and hardness of heart your heavenly father your judge is standing at the door and there will be a moment where he's going to burst through the door and say enough You're making a mockery of the gospel because you're bickering with each other. He says this, unity, unity, not grumbling against each other because the judge is at the door. He can hear you. And here's the thing that we don't realize, we need each other. I don't think I realize how much I need my little brother until he lived 12,000 miles away from me. And yesterday, I got to spend an hour with him on FaceTime which is really cool. But I'd really love to see him in person, face-to-face. But if you look around this room right here, right now, I want you to know that you're not here by accident today. You're not sitting by who you're sitting by on accident today. You're not in relationship, many of you covenant relationship with the people around you by accident. Don't sell these relationships cheap. Did you hear me? Don't sell your relationships with the brothers and sisters in Christ cheap they're not for sale and unfortunately in our culture if we get burned by somebody write them off what would what would it look like if the church just decided to believe James here at his word and say you know what I'm going to stop grumbling against each other I'm just going to love that person I'm going to finish with who I started with isn't that a great idea I want to finish with who I started with. I don't want to have so many different camps. I get to the end and go, well, those are all the people that I used to be friends with. And now we're all standing at heaven's gate? Heaven forbid. Think about it. I want to finish with who I started with. And that's what James is talking about. The next thing is that he said to endure suffering. Blessing comes as you endure and as you overcome. But like Job, you've got to make up your mind. No matter what I face, I'm going to persevere. We have the blessing of the rest of the story with Job. We kind of know where the story's going. Poor Job, he didn't know. He didn't know. He decided to persevere anyways, right? God brought him double blessing, but he didn't know it was coming. What if God had not given him double blessing and the story ended at, I don't know, Job 41? (laughs) Would God still be true? Would Job's declaration of though he slay me, yet will I trust him still be true? Yes. And I think many times we face situations in life and we're more frustrated that God permitted it than saying, you know what, doesn't matter. I'm going to go through anyway. I'm going to push through anyway. Though you might not know how it'll turn out, your heart has been established to believe God that he's working anyway. And no matter what comes, You will not waver. That's what James says, establish your heart. I will not waver. I won't. Some of you are here today because of that statement. I know for us as as a leadership team, you know, COVID hit. We had all this kind of goofy stuff going on, and we just had to get before the Lord and say, we're not going to waver. We're going to keep seeking God no matter what. Because things will come and go, but the kingdom of God is forever. The next thing I see, Job really, imp- or uh, James, excuse me, really emphasizing is integrity. Everyone say integrity. He says, "Let your yes be yes, and your no, no." Let me say it this way: in our English vernacular, it would be this. You shouldn't need to have to swear. I swear I'll do it. Well, good. Isn't that a given? If you said it, you should do it. If you said you won't do it, don't do it. Integrity. Be who you say. You are. So those are kind of the subpoints that I see in this right here. But I saw three things that I want to emphasize today because we're talking about this rat's nest, this binding up, this winding up in our heart that we all wrestle with. These are things that I think are a daily practice. And so I like when I come to church to be able to write something down or be able to take something away that says, I can do that tomorrow. I can do that on Tuesday. And I saw three things in here that have been helping me, and I hope that they can help you. The first one is this, prayer and worship. And you think, I came all the way to church to have Pastor Jimmy tell me that I need to pray and worship. Isn't that a given? <laughs> yes. Is that the first thing we do? No. <laughs> when we When we walk through a difficult thing, what's our first reaction? Panic. What's our first reaction? Post on Facebook. What's our first reaction? Complain. What's our first reaction? Worry. We're humans. I get it. So even though maybe James is being really redundant here, what if we looked at this and saw what he was talking about? So prayer and worship. So you're still in James 5. Look at verse 13 with me. He said, Is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone among you suffering? In this room today, some of you are suffering. Some of you are suffering in your mind. Some of you are suffering in your finances. Some of you are suffering, suffering under persecution. People are actually coming against you because of your faith. Some of you are suffering in your body. You're physically sick. And it doesn't seem like it's getting better. He says, is anyone among you suffering? This is the first thing he says. Let him, let him pray. I want to encourage you today. Sometimes we bite into the lie that because we're not the pastor or because we're not someone we admire, we can't pray for ourselves. He says, is anyone suffering? Let him pray. It's okay for you to pray. And sometimes it can be just like my little cry out to my dad when I was tangled up in the tree. Dad, help, help, help. Doesn't have to be fancy. In fact, I think in my life, I felt like the Holy Spirit says, please don't make it fancy. I just want to hear your heart. I just want to hear your heart. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Here's an interesting one because it's on the other side of the spectrum. It says, is anyone cheerful? Anybody cheerful today? It's good. I could sense it this morning. There's some cheer. It says, call for, it says let him sing psalms. Interesting. We're going to get into this in a minute. But the same root word for pray is the same root word for cheer. It's rooted in prayer and worship. It's rooted in the same place. So whether you're suffering or whether you're in cheer, you pray and you worship. It's a principle. It says, let him call. It says in verse 14, is anyone among you sick? So here's the illness part. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. We're going to dive into that in a minute because there's a component of this that I think sometimes that we've missed. But I, I like to look up some of the root words and some of the root meanings in the original language. So bear with me for just a second because I've got a few of those throughout today's word. So there is a phrase in here. It's one word in the Greek, but it's a phrase that means let him pray. So let him pray is a phrase in Greek that, and I'm going to butcher it, so work with me, prosyukomahi, and it means to offer or supplicate, to worship, or to pray earnestly. You see, prayer and worship are two sides of the same coin. And so sometimes people say, well, I don't like to sing. Well, good, stand there and pray. Well, I don't know how to pray. Well, good, then sing. Worship and pray and worship and pray and contend with the connection you need to have with the Father because it's two sides to the same coin. And so daily we surrender. Lord, I'm going to pray. Lord, I'm going to worship. Lord, I'm going to worship. Lord, I'm going to pray. Whether I'm suffering or whether I'm cheerful. And so I broke a few of these down. So suffering, definition of suffering is going through difficulties. Anybody ever gone through difficulties before? I mean, that's so broad. That's so broad. I love that because it says, is anyone suffering? So so Pam's suffering might look different than Jamie's suffering, but that doesn't mean that it's not suffering because it's going through difficulties. And it might be different levels. It might be a little bit of suffering. It might be a lot of suffering. But here's the thing. When you're going through difficulties, the Bible tells us that we're to count it as joy. Same book, but a different chapter. James says this in James 1, 2 through 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials or when you suffer, knowing that the testing of your faith produces something. What does it produce? Oh no, you guys just said the word. You did it. You said it. Patience, patience, perseverance. You're gonna get through this, amen? So how do we pray and worship through suffering? We begin to pray in dependence on God in order to see things from his vantage point. This was the thing that's so amazing is when my line was all tangled up, I needed my dad. He was a little taller than me. He could reach when I got myself all messed up, and he had a little bit more experience than me, and he could unravel it. We need to have his vantage point, and that's what prayer does. It gets us up above our situation. It gets us off of the focused laser that we have right here saying, this is a huge, terrible mess, and God says, back off of it. a like, you eat a little snack, and you watch me, and all of a sudden, the line comes open, and you're like, how did he do that? because you let go, and you let God take that out of your hand. We trust that there's a bigger picture. We allow God to work more faith into us so that we can be tested and still prevail. Listen to me. Prayer in suffering is faith. Did you catch that? Follow me real quick. Prayer while you are suffering is faith. Sometimes we think we've got to conjure the faith so we don't suffer. But the faith is produced when we pray while we suffer. That's where faith is birthed. Let me say it this way. You build faith in suffering by praying. Sometimes we'll face something and go, I don't have enough faith for this. And he says, pray. Because that's where it's built. People would say, I don't have enough faith to pray while I'm suffering. Pray while you're suffering and see your faith grow. Sometimes we expect the faith first. Sometimes we have to enter into it, and the only thing we can do is pray, and guess what happens to your faith? It starts to grow. It starts as a little seed. Then it starts to grow up, and then it starts to build, and then someone comes and waters it, and someone comes and speaks a word like Pastor Mark did this morning, and someone comes and tends to it, and pretty soon what was just a little tiny seed starts to produce a harvest of faith in you, but it wasn't because you weren't suffering that you didn't have faith. It was that your faith was built while you suffered because you prayed, okay? Okay? powerful the next one that we see is the suffering but then cheer everyone say cheer I like the word cheer it's kind of a Christmassy type word right but it actually means this it means joy but it also in the original language means courage anybody need to measure courage to face what you're facing yeah so cheer is not just yay I'm happy I'm gonna go dance through the tulips cheer is courage Cheer is a boldness. Cheer is something you walked through and now you're on the other side and you have a boldness. And yeah, you're going to face some suffering, but right now you have cheer. What does it teach us to do? It teaches us to sing psalms. Because when you have a measure of courage and a measure of boldness, your declaration, like what you did this morning as you praised, builds an element of faith for those who are suffering. And so when you bring the courage to praise and to lift up Jesus for his historical breakthroughs in your life, it causes someone else to rise up and say, maybe I can see my knot untangled too. Yay? It's exciting to me. When we have cheer, which is defined as joy or courage, we can declare praise because we know that as we've suffered, as we've grown in the faith, we can also praise the one who is building us up for his eternal purposes. John 16, says it this way. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, courage, boldness. You come in and you sing with faith. He says, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world." See, Jesus never told us that life would be easy and neither did his half-brother James and we would have no, that we would have no suffering. He told us to rejoice in spite of our suffering. There is an establishment of our heart when we determine ahead of time to praise him no matter what. When you get that bad news like Job did and you say the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. How could Job do that then? Because he decided ahead of time that's how he would be, right? So that's powerful. The next thing that he talks about is pray and worship so that we can see breakthrough in sickness. You know what the original language here in sickness means? It's not just illness. It does encompass illness. You know what it actually means? It means without strength. Have you ever felt weak? you ever felt weak? Have you ever felt like you didn't have enough to offer? You couldn't get through it. You didn't have enough strength. The word sick encompasses a lot of things. It can be a physical ailment, yes, but it can also mean anything that drains our strength. And if you're feeling weak, if you're feeling burdened, this is also a part of this scripture. Is anyone among you without strength? That's what James is saying. Is anyone among you without strength? If you feel weak and all wound up in lack, this is what you should do, is what he's saying. Look at it with me, James 5, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Now, I think this is pretty powerful because we, in this verse, tend to only think of physical sicknesses. But I can't tell you how many times I've stood in this altar and someone has come and prayed for me and anointed my head with oil and prayed in agreement with me. in my spiritual sickness, my spiritual weakness, my emotional weakness, my relational or financial weakness, are you with me, was healed. Because I called the elders of the church and they prayed for me and they connected with me in faith. He's giving us instructions, prayer and worship. And then the next one that I think is so interesting is forgiveness. Everyone say forgiveness. This is important because it says that we're going to deal with suffering. We're going to deal with sickness. And then it says the prayer of faith will also forgive sins. What? Now this isn't the same sentence as sickness, but remember what the definition of sickness is. Anybody want to call it out? What's sickness? It's weakness. It's the lack of strength. What happens when there's no strength? Guess what has permission now? Sin. And so when you have sin that's operating in your life, and it might not be because of a physical sickness, it might just be because of what you're going through, and you feel weak, and you walk into compromise, the same healing that is coming through the brothers and sisters when they pray for you for your sickness and weakness is also bringing you to a place where you can repent and be forgiven of your sins. Amen? This is exciting to me. If you confess your weakness, you might find your weakness is connected to a sin somewhere. You've compromised, you've fallen short, you've rebelled against God. In your humility to pray and receive prayer for that spiritual sickness, you'll be forgiven. How better way to receive a sound mind than to be forgiven of the sin that torments your mind with shame? Pastor Colton spoke to shame this morning. Anybody ever been tormented with shame right up in here? You get with somebody, you confess your weakness, you receive prayer, and you leave that place with a clean heart. And all of a sudden, what was once sick, what was once weak, what was once overwhelming to you has brought, you've come back into healing because you prayed and you worshiped. I know it sounds so simple, but it's so powerful. See the second part of verse 15, it says, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. In verse 16, it says this, confess. Confess. Your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So, the first thing that we can do every day prayer and worship. Amen? Prayer and worship. But we see in this verse I just read the next thing. And this one, it's probably not going to be very popular. You ready? Everyone say, Confess. To who? What does it say? Confess to each other. Confess to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So as we learn to pray and worship, we'll start to notice that the knot in our mind and our heart is a little looser. It's kind of like that victory you start getting as a little kid when your shoelace starts to get a little bit less than tight. You're like, I think I'm going to get it, dad. I think I'm going to get it. And you start to feel it loosen up, but it's still not, not quite there. So what's the next thing? Confession. Confession. Confession is not simply a religious act of going into a booth and talking to a man behind a screen. Confession is your willingness to peel the lid off of your own soul and let what is stuffed in there out. And trusting someone and ultimately God with coming in. What confession is, is taking the lid off of your heart and letting someone see the deep dark inside so that it's not deep, dark inside in there anymore. This is a really hard one, because guess what confession requires? Trust. Confession requires trust. And it says, confess your trespasses to one another. I confess to the Lord all the time, but I really drag my feet about confessing to another person, because I know the mess that's in here. And I don't want any of you all to know what's going on in here, because you might not want to stand here and listen to me talk to you after you know what actually happens in here. And how about you? It's embarrassing. Someone knows what we're thinking. When someone knows when we made a mistake and what our sin was and what we thought and what we were tempted to do or what we actually did, we don't want anybody to know that. But there is power to unravel the winding up of our minds in the confession of our faults one to another. Let's look at it together. Verse 16, James 5. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So when you get free, your prayers avail much, but when you confess, your buddies. Prayers are availing much because you've opened your heart. Confession is the Greek word, and it means to acknowledge openly. It means you got to say it out of your mouth. It's like, can I just go home when everybody is at work and say it out loud? No. So, I'm going to say this very boldly. Some of you are bound to your addiction because you won't tell somebody. Some of you are bound to pride in a broken place in your marriage because you won't confess your sins. And you've cried out for God to heal you over and over and over and over and over and over over again, and nothing is moved, and it's because this is missing. Confession. Confess one to another so that you may be healed. I don't know why God chose to do it that way other than he created us to have community, but this is God's way, amen? And it says, that you may be healed. It's the Greek phrase, ayumai, and it means to make whole or to free from errors and sins to bring about one's salvation. So let me read it in that context. Acknowledge openly your errors so that you can experience your salvation. Some of us aren't walking in the fullness of our salvation because we refuse to confess our faults to somebody. And you're gonna stay right where you are for the rest of your life unless you break through to confess. And there's an anointing in this place to confess. It's gonna be powerful today. I want you to know there was a time in my life where I had a skeleton in my closet. Anybody ever had a skeleton in your closet before? And every time I sat behind a keyboard, a piano, I led a worship service behind a microphone, guess what I thought of that whole time? I thought of the skeleton in my closet And I got to a spot where I had had enough because it was hindering how I could lead into the presence of God. I longed for God to move. I longed for people to encounter his presence, but I couldn't go in very far because I was dealing with condemnation because I had a skeleton in my closet. And there was a moment where there was somebody in my life and I said, I have to say this out loud to you. And I did. And guess what they did? They prayed over me. And since that moment, that thing has never tormented me since. And some of you are in that same place and you're wondering, why is this skeleton not getting out of my closet? It's because you won't say it out loud to somebody that you trust that will pray for you and ask God for healing. I promise you it'll bring breakthrough to your life. It's powerful. 1 John 1 talks about the light of Christ shining in dark places. It says, 1 John 1, chapter Chapter one, verse five, it says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. So what are the things that we need to confess? We need to confess our sins We need to confess when we acknowledge that we've fallen short of God's standard. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means that you're not all by yourself thinking nobody else has sinned, but only you have. All of us are messes. All of us have gotten our lure tangled up in the tree. All of us have gotten our, our shoelace all tied up in a knot, and we need help. All have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. It's really interesting that we believe we're the only ones that have ever struggled with what we're struggling with. It's like we think that we're going to shock someone if we confess it. Now obviously you got to choose a safe person so that you can receive the ministry that you need. This isn't the rumor mill. This isn't gossip. You don't want to just go tell everybody, but you need to tell somebody that you trust that will pray for you and watch God bring deliverance, a brother or sister in Christ that can pray for you so that you can be healed. So you could do that on Monday. You could do that on Tuesday. So we're talking about prayer and worship and now confession. So here's another thing that we need to confess, that we need healing, Because the next thing that we deal with, yeah, we got to confess our sins. But some of us are so prideful about anything that might be going on in our life that we don't want to confess that we need ministry. When we're weak, we've been taught and we've adopted as truth the lie that we need to pretend like we're strong and that we don't need to tell anybody. Don't limp. Know how often that's happened? You got a knee problem, you got a hip problem, and you're limping, but you're trying really hard not to limp because you don't want anybody to know. It hurts. Get some prayer. Don't cry. Sometimes the most powerful thing we can do is say, I am hurting. I'm scared. I need some help. The prayer of faith will raise him up. Put on the face. Pretend like it's okay. If you need prayer, confess it. Bring it out into the light. So you walk into one of those old nasty hotel rooms and you turn on the light. What happens to the cockroaches? (laughs) Everybody's had a cold shiver go up their spine. Hopefully you've never stayed in a hotel room like that, but... It makes for a good visual, doesn't it? What do you think would happen if you've got some things in your heart and in your soul and in your life that are treating you like the cockroaches in the spirit realm, because that's what they are, and you decide to come and flip the light switch on in your spirit by confessing it to somebody and relieving ministry? What's going to happen to you now? Guess what's going to happen? The cockroaches of the enemy are going to run for the darkness, because now what's on the inside of you is light. Verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Notice that James started with physical healing, calling on the elders to anoint with oil and pray in faith, but then he talks about confession of our sins so that we can be healed. And so while I believe sometimes our sins are the root cause of our physical ailments, not always, but sometimes, I also will contend that our soul can be sick just like our body can be sick. And that goes back to what I was talking about at the beginning, where our mind is in a mental state of sickness. Our soul is sick. It's in a soul state of sickness. And so we might not need prayer because we got arthritis in our hip, but we sure need prayer because we've got a prodigal child and we need some breakthrough. Because our soul is sick and our soul needs to be healed. And that's what that joining together with one another and confessing that. Our soul is sick through unrepentant and unrevealed sins sometimes. We need to confess it. It festers like a sore, and it brings infection to our soul. And God is saying prayer and worship every day, and then confession with somebody you trust, you're going to start seeing breakthrough because your, light, your, your soul has light in it instead of with the lid of darkness. Together, we believe in breakthrough. So this is the important thing. The elders come, and they pray together sounds a little bit to me like Matthew 18, 18 through 20, where Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree, how many? Not one, two. If two of you agree, now that could be more than two, but the point is, is that there's more than one, Right? And I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And I believe that many of us are suffering things that God never intended for us to suffer and that we could get victory over if we would expose it to the light and tell somebody else that can pray for us. You're not the Lone Ranger. And some of you are living like you're the Lone Ranger because you don't want anybody to know. Can I tell you? You don't have to tell the world. Just tell somebody that can pray for you. Amen? Get into this altar and get somebody around you and say, this is what I'm dealing with. You don't have to go into the gory details, but join together with someone who can pray to see the healing of the Holy Spirit come into your life. So, wow. Amen? Worship and prayer and confession. We've prayed, we've worshiped, we've confessed all that's been hidden, and this knot is starting to loosen right up. What was all wound up is suddenly starting to lose its power. Can you feel it? We're real close to needing to fish now, right? So what's next? James makes it really clear. Perseverance. Uh-oh. You want to say it with me? Perseverance. Perseverance. Persevere is the Greek word hupomone, and it means to be steadfast, constant, and to endure. And when you endure, you are a person who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. Think Job. Think Abraham. Think of all of these men and women of God throughout the scripture that says, I don't know how this is going to turn out. All I know is that I've heard from God, and I am going to serve him no matter what and he perseveres, and she perseveres. You see, we're such a wishy-washy culture. We're finicky, and we're petty. We have the attention span of a goldfish, and we're unaccustomed to having to wait for the end result of anything. We want fast food, fast service, wherever we go. We're in desperate need for fast internet. Just watch the little thing on your screen and watch us lose our joy. I remember watching a movie years ago. It's going to space. Give it a minute. <laughs> we want fast internet, fast cars, fast financing, fast vacations, fast responses to our immediate demands from our coworkers. And we're accustomed to immediate responses to our text messages and emails. And we check dozens of times a day to see how many people have liked our posts on Instagram. No wonder perseverance is so hard. We've trained ourselves for instant gratification. And that's not the way the kingdom works. We're very annoyed at the thought of having to be consistent and wait for anything. We want fast solutions, and we wanted them yesterday. Sounds to me like we're all wound up. I can remember sitting on the bank of that river, minutes slowly ticking by, as I learned to untangle my own rat's nest in my fishing line. Sometimes you're going to have to untangle the line, right? <laughs> I could remember sitting on the bank. My grandpa, he was a pro. at This was back in the days when you could use grasshoppers. You could use live bait to catch. We were out on the little streams out in the river. So my brother and I would be fishing, and my grandpa's out there with his hat or a broom and whacking the grasshoppers and putting them in a little Band-Aid can for us. And, and I could remember sitting on the bank of the river. I can see the fish, but I'm all tangled up. And grandpa's nowhere to be found. And the only way I'm going to catch that fish is I'm going to have to learn how to untangle this stinking knot. I'm not saying I'm a pro at untangling the knots, but I did untangle a few of them and finally got that fish I could see in the river. Sometimes God's going to let you persevere. In fact, that's some of the blessing of the Lord is to know that God can begin to trust you to push through even in the hardest times with the biggest difficulties. And that's endurance. Everyone say endurance. That's outlasting difficult things. 1 Corinthians 9.24, it says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. What's Paul talking about? Perseverance. Keep going after it. Keep running. Keep worshiping. Keep praying. Keep confessing. Keep loving. Keep repenting. Keep pushing in. Because at some moment, maybe sooner than later, We're going to stand before the Savior of our soul. And we're going to hear one of two things. We're going to hear, depart from me, for I never knew you. Or we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your reward. Endurance. God's building faith in us. And he's building faith through the resistance that we have to endure. We're being tested by God to grow and to overcome. How do we look at trials and difficulties? Are you living for your next vacation? Or do you have the I have a tiger that says, I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold, but I'm going to go after God with all my heart, no matter what happens. How do you prepare your heart for the inevitable changes that you will certainly face in your life? When you're doing good, that's the moment to decide how you'll be when you're challenged. Decide ahead. That's what James says. Establish your heart. Then all God gets to do is to test and refine that faith so that you may grow into his full stature for you. Again, in James 1, verse 2, it says this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or perseverance, endurance. But let patience have its perfect work that you... Everybody say me, 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 so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Because you see, what's at stake here is a harvest our farmers are getting ready even now. They're working on their rigs. They're starting to get the ditches ready. They're starting to do all their things because here pretty soon, the ditches are going to fill it back up with water, and they're going to have to plant their seed. And they're not going to plant their seed because they're just hoping they're going to get a return. They're planting their seed, and they're going to work their tail off until they combine it in the fall, right? They expect a harvest. And I want to declare to you, there's a harvest that's coming. There's a harvest of souls, there's a harvest of answers, there's a harvest of breakthrough, there's a harvest of victory, there's a harvest of purity that's coming into your life as you learn daily to worship, pray, to confess, and to persevere, because as that little plant starts to grow, it's going to start to bear the fruit of these disciplines. You can't pull up a harvest early and expect the full product. You reap the harvest when the harvest is ready. And I wanna declare to you, there's gonna be a moment in your life and maybe even in the life of this church coming where there's a harvest coming. Are you ready for the harvest? Prepare for the harvest, prepare for the souls, prepare for the people, prepare in your life for the breakthroughs that God is wanting you to have. The harvest comes when the harvest is ready, not before. Are you willing to persevere to see what God is growing? Are you willing to not abort your harvest by allowing your mind and your heart to get all wound up? We're going to land here, James 5, 7. This is James' instruction. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The word at hand means it's coming soon, and it's right here. So what am I saying to us today? James is teaching us in James 5 to do the following things to keep our minds and souls healthy when the world gets all wound up. First one is pray and worship. Second one is daily confess. Shine a light on the things that are trying to stay hidden and then persevere. What did Paul say? Having done all to stand, stand therefore. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear but a spirit of power. And love, and of what? A sound mind. Would you stand with me? Pastor Colton, if you'd come. If you've been dealing in your life with a tangled mind, It seems like your mind is kind of like that fishing reel I was describing. I want to pray for you. There's no shame in confessing it. You've heard the power of it. Would you just come to these altars? I'm going to pray for If your mind and your spirit has been dealing, it's been like a fishing line. Don't be ashamed of it. We're going to pray for it. We're going to ask God for a breakthrough. I know there's more of you than that. I know the prevalence of mental health issues, depression, or the prevalence of suicidal thoughts, prevalence of disappointments and discouragements, prevalence of the disappointment of a failed marriage or a failed relationship. Maybe you've been dealing with a disappointment because you lost a job and it was your dream job or you lost an opportunity or maybe you're dealing with a jealousy because someone took what you thought was supposed to be yours and you've been all wound up about it. You've been all bound up. I really feel this. I don't know why, but I feel like since I've said the word suicide in this place, if you've been wrestling, there's no shame in it. This is the place to have breakthrough. If you've been dealing with a spirit of suicide and you have been so discouraged and bound up and wound up in your mind that you need a breakthrough, I want you to come. There's no shame in that. If you've been dealing with depression, maybe you've actually been diagnosed with depression. It's all right. We're not judging you. We want to pray for you. We want to see breakthrough for you. The Bible says to lay hands on you and to ask God for a breakthrough. You've been in despair and hopelessness. If you've been dealing with a physical ailment and you need someone to lay hands on you because you've been sick, you're dealing with something in your body, I'm going to ask those of the leadership team that can come to help me to pray. We've got oil right up here underneath the Ten Commandments. We can get out. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join us next time for another deep dive into the foundation stones of our faith in Jesus Christ. For more information about Refuge City Church or to join our giving team to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ moving forward and making resources like this podcast available into the future, visit refugecity.church.